You don't have to be rolled into an operating room to get a scientific clean. You can just get your morning coffee or bottomless breadsticks or celebrate 10 years together because the scientific expertise that helps operating rooms stay clean helps restaurants too. Look for the Ecolab Science Certified Seal where you dine. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, and you're listening to Go Ask Alley, where this season I'm asking, how do you grow a healthy relationship with a sibling, with a spouse, with a guy that gives you colonics? I'm not going to judge. In this episode, we're talking about getting older. Yes. The optimistic way of looking at it is like a fine wine, we get better with age. But I've kind of been on a frantic quest for the fountain of youth, and I don't mean Botox. I'm talking aging like sore back, bad knees, my boobs hitting my my stomach. I don't remember things. I'm losing my hair. There are more wrinkles on my forehead than there were yesterday. So what is our relationship with aging, and how can we make it a healthier one? Because there's no antidote to it. We're all going to get old. My guest today is Dr. Frank Lippman. Dr. Frank Lippman is recognized as a vocal pioneer of integrative and functional medicine, or what he calls good medicine. He's the founder of 1111 Wellness Center and the chief medical officer at The Well, both in New York City. He's also the best-selling author of seven books, including The New Rules of Aging Well, a simple program for immune resilience, strength, and vitality. Fingers crossed I'm 10 years younger after this conversation. Dr. Littman, thank you so much for being here. I have a billion questions for you. Okay. I hope you're ready. Yeah, well, I'm ready for a million. I don't know if we'll get to a billion, right? Uh, here's my first question. I'm 56. Is it too late for me? No, it's not. I'm 66. I'm a little <gasps> bit older than you. It's not too late. If I was 76, it wouldn't be too late. So it's never too late, basically. Good to know. Never too By the way, where, where the accent is from where? where? South Africa. South Africa. Got it. So I really loved your book and it's everything I'm worried about, thinking about, want to change for myself. And I love the idea because, listen, the the honest truth is that me and a lot of my female friends, a lot of the idea about aging is ego, right? So we think in this world of aging, oh my God, we need Botox. We need to lose five pounds. I've already crossed over to, oh, no, no, no. It's not about bikini weather girls. It's about maintaining what we have. And I loved that that was actually yeah. a line in your book. It, it's, we got to take care of what's here. 
you know, because I'm now about straw hats and, you know, growing tomatoes. So I'm ready to get my shit together. Exactly. I think that's what it's all about. I think, look, we're all going to get older. That's normal. It's how we adapt to that and how well we age. I mean, I, and to answer your first question again, it's never too late to make changes. You know, how quickly and how well we age is determined by how we live our lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, particularly after this horrific year yep. we've had with the pandemic, I had COVID-19 and I got very sick. So, uh, and you talk about resilience in your book. So explain to my listeners what you mean by building up immune resilience. Well, I think, you know, we all as a culture think about not getting sick and not having something happen to us. But we all get sick. Something happens to all of us. The pandemic is, is, a, is a perfect example. Many of the things that happen to us are out of our control. How well we weather that storm, how well we get better, or how quickly we get better is all about resilience. And, you know, I'm a Western doctor. Obviously, I've been practicing Western medicine for over 40 years. But I really got into a different way of thinking when I started studying Chinese medicine about 30 odd years ago. And I got taught by my Chinese medicine teacher very early on. It's all about creating resilience and helping your patients or the people you work with become more resilient because their understanding is, you know, bad weather happens, shit happens, as you were saying. I'm allowed to swear, obviously. So, um, so eloquently, yes, I said that. Uh, and, you know, how well we deal with that shit is what it's all about. And that's the way I see it. It's not, you know, we're all going to age. How well we age is is um, important. And the more resilient you are, the more you can weather all those storms, the easier it's going to be for you. So describe, um, I hope I'm saying this right, autophagy. Autophagy, not bad. It's a big word for a girl like me, yes. Right. So autophagy is basically your body's own cleansing mechanisms. You know, it's basically your garbage system and the cleaning crew all in one. In your cells or in your organs or everything? Yeah, everything in your cells and organs. So your body is detoxing or cleansing all the time. So it's taking proteins that get used up in the body and metabolites from different metabolic processes. And it takes that garbage and it puts it together and it gets rid of it. And your capacity for this self-cleansing mechanism is what it's all about with aging, because as we get older, that process decreases a little bit. So you can maintain that or you can strengthen that autophagy process. And I think a lot of aging is about cleaning out those burnt out cells, those old cells. And I think people, when you explain it like that, when you explain that if you have a party at night and there's all this mess in your dining room and you don't clean it up the next day, after a few days, it's going to build up and build up. That's what's happening in your cells. So you need some type of garbage collection and removal to actually stay healthy. And when it's not working properly, you could equate it to, let's say, a garbage disposal that is broken and it gets clogged and filled up, right? And that's what happens as we age. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk about longevity genes, the AMPK and MTOR. MTOR, right. The MTOR. <laughs> and I'm asking you because even though I read it, I need more of a description of it. 
Sure. So what they've discovered in the last 20 years or so is we have specific genes that we can upregulate or downregulate. In other words, we can manipulate or affect how those genes are expressed. Um, and they're calling them longevity genes because these particular genes, which you can affect by how you live your life, and you know, we have 20 or so of these genes. Two of the common ones that they talk about are this AMPK and the mTOR genes. And now they're discovering certain ways of eating or exercising that affect these genes. And now are these hereditary genes or genes that we're all born with? You know, the, the thing about genes, these are the type of genes that you're born with, but how those genes are expressed is determined by how you live your life. So they're not genes, for instance, like a gene for blonde hair or for blue eyes. Mm -hmm. They're genes that you're born with that you can actually um, manipulate in, in a good way by how you live your life. So, so like, for instance, certain genes for heart disease or for even cancer are also able to be upregulated or downregulated. And, and so 90% of the genes we have in our bodies are actually uh, how they express is determined by whether you exercise, how you eat, how you sleep, whether you have love in your life, whether you have purpose. All these factors affect how most of our genes are expressed and the longevity genes are genes like that. Because the hereditary genes, you think a lot of that is bullshit, correct? If we rely on them to dictate what kind of life we have. Exactly. Yes. So for instance, there's a a gene known now as the Alzheimer's gene, the APOE34 gene, which if, if someone has that particular gene, there's more chance that they're going to get Alzheimer's disease, but only if they eat a lot of sugar, they're not exercising, um, they're not sleeping. So these are just genes that are going to be affected by your lifestyle. And it, you know, it comes down once again in the beginning. Is it too late for you? No, you, you're still young, Elliot. It's never too late, but at 56, I think it's still early. Oh, thank you for saying that. That brought my stress down a little bit. Um, you know, this weekend I was with some friends and we were hiking and we got lost. And it was scary because we were in Tennessee and we saw a black bear. And of course, my heart was racing and we, we, we started running. Oh, wow. And I was, as I was running, and of course, we were totally fine. But as I was running, I thought, is this what Dr. Littman would think is a small stress that makes us stronger? Is that an example of a small stress? Well, probably that's a little bit bigger than a small <laughs> stress. But, that, but, but, but that's a good point you bring up because our bodies are, are developed to actually deal with those situations. So that was the appropriate response. When you see a bear, your heart starts pounding, you get ready to run. It's a fight or flight mechanism. So that's a little bit different. And what's actually happened in our culture in the way we live today, unfortunately, your body stays in that mode when you have chronic stress. Most of us have chronic stress. So the ability to turn that on and off and to only try use it when you're facing a bear or you're in traffic or you you have some type of stress is important. But when I'm talking about the small stresses, I'm talking about something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. What I'm talking about is going from boiling hot shower to a cold shower, for a, from a sauna to a cold plunge, mm -hmm. doing some high intensity interval training. So when you're exercising, you're sprinting or you know pushing yourself for half a second, for a second, and then recovering. 
or fasting is another example of a small stress. So it's a little bit different, but yes, in the same vein. Okay. I'm glad you brought up fasting. So food, uh, you recommend 16 hours of fasting, which seems like a lot. And what is the difference between a 16-hour fast and intermittent fasting, which it seems to be a fad now? I know a lot of people that are doing intermittent fasting. Well, intermittent fasting is probably very similar to what I'm describing, time-restricted eating, eating most of your calories in within a, probably around an eight, maybe a 10-hour period. So you have at least 14 to 16 hours where your body is not consuming any calories. And why is that important? Because after 14 to 16 hours, these autophagy mechanisms in your body start kicking in. And you want that, especially as you get older, because as I said earlier, as you get older, the autophagy mechanisms in your body aren't as efficient. Mm -hmm. So if you fast, if you fast for 14 to 16 hours, it starts kicking in these self-cleansing mechanisms. So it's a very, very powerful anti-aging hack, fasting. And, you know, it actually does get easier as you start doing it more and more. And I'm not recommending it for everyone. Some people have a problem with it. But for most of us over 45, 50, it's a really good thing to do. So let's walk through a fast. I have dinner at six o'clock. Right. I have some salmon and some greens and some water. And I go to sleep around nine, but I haven't eaten anything. Uh, wake up at seven and exercise because you'd say you don't have to eat before exercise. Mm -hmm. So the next meal I should have after eating dinner, let's say finishing dinner at seven is maybe like 10 in the morning. Exactly. 10, 11. Yep. Yeah. So 10 is 15 hours, 11 is 16 hours. That's what I do. I eat I usually try to finish dinner by seven o'clock the latest, and I'll have my first meal by 11 or 12. You know, I try to go even sometimes a bit longer. I'll have a cup of black coffee because that doesn't affect your autophagy mechanisms. And, you know, I'm so used to it now. It's, it's basically like eating dinner earlier and breakfast later. I basically eat two meals a day. I'll sometimes snack between, but I eat two meals a day. Yeah. Okay. And you know, the, the, once you start doing it, you just get used to it. And I don't get hungry. I don't crave food. It's actually not that difficult. And that's probably one of the best things you can do for your weight, for aging, for, for helping maintain blood sugars, for treating abnormal lipids. So it has multiple effects fasting. It's one of the best things you can do for your body as you get older. And, you know, it's not only is it free, it's probably saving you a lot of money from the food that you're not, Definitely. not eating. But let me ask you this. You have coffee, but I bet you don't put any sugar or cream in your coffee. No, 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 no. So, okay. So uh, that's a very important point. So there's a debate whether you can put fat in the coffee, in other words, just plain fat, like full cream, mm -hmm. whether that's going to affect your, your fast. Because we know that protein and carbohydrates will affect the fast. I used to put full cream or unsweetened almond milk into my coffee because theoretically, just fat alone should not affect the autophagy and mechanisms that kick in when you fast. But now I've just gotten used to black coffee. I'm, I, th I thought, you know, once now I'm at 66, why even take a chance? Let's just be sure about it. 
But it tastes so much better. <laughs> it does taste better. But, you know, if you're going to do it and, and that's the way you're going to do it, then I don't think it's a problem putting a bit of full cream in or unsweetened almond milk. I don't think that's going to really affect the fast. But I know what does affect the fast. If I put a big heaping spoon of sugar in it or agave or any other sweetener, right? Absolutely. Not only will that affect your fast, but it's going to affect many other processes in your body. Sugar is the devil, especially as we get older. I mean, if there's one thing you can get from this podcast is get as much sugar out of your life as possible. You say it's as addictive as heroin and cocaine. Yeah, it's working on the same areas of the brain. Um, yeah, anyone who has been addicted to sugar, which is most of us, know how difficult it is to get off it. It's just a socially accepted drug and the drug dealers on every corner. Are you never like on your birthday, you don't have a piece of birthday cake? No, no, no. I, I, no, I love sugar. I'm not saying <laughs> I, I don't like sugar, but I just don't eat it as much as I used to. I can control my, okay. my sugar intake. Don't get me wrong. You know, instead of having two squares of dark chocolate after dinner, I'd like to have six squares or 10 squares. You know, I just know it's just probably not probably it's not worth it. Yeah. So, you know, and this is what happens, Ali, as we get older, you start making these choices. Do we want to be vital? And I've got a young grandchild now. So, you know, for me now, it's staying vital for him so I can play with him as I get older. And these are the choices we make. Do you eat dark chocolate after dinner? Yeah, absolutely. I love dark chocolate. So are you giving me permission to have a little dark chocolate after dinner? If I, if I you know, maintain a good relationship with sugar in general? If you can, yeah, absolutely. I don't think that's in. I mean, I think you've got to look at everything in perspective. Yeah, If you're feeling deprived, that's not going to be healthy for you. It's not just about eating no sugar. If you're unhappy not eating sugar, that's not a good thing. If it's affecting other parts of your life and you're miserable and you start fighting with your kids or your husband and then it's not a good thing. So it's, I'm not dogmatic about anything. I think we need to look at all the factors that affect us. And, you know, having purpose in life is probably more important, for instance, than eating sugar. Being grateful or being kind to others is probably more important than having sugar. But I still think sugar is the devil. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Welcome back. And and the other thing is I'm now scared of eggs because at one point during the pandemic, I had cholesterol and my doctor asked me why it was so high. And I said, because I had just been eating cheese and ice cream. But the eggs, I was always told that only eat the egg white and you had to be very careful. But you say no. No, that's not. First of all, you don't get cholesterol from eating cholesterol. Second of all, the cholesterol story is much more complicated than 
just having a high cholesterol because you can have a high cholesterol and not be a problem. So that's a whole nother story, but sugar is more of a problem for cholesterol levels. I actually think egg is a wonderful superfood. If you're not sensitive to eggs, I think egg is, is nature's multivitamin. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge, huge fan of eggs. And you're a huge fan of bone broth too. Love bone broth. <laughs> Why do you love bone broth? Well, I think bone broth is another super, super food. I think it's really good for the gut. And to me, the gut, you know, I'd say in my practice, I'd say three quarters of the problems that I see are gut related. And to me, the gut is low hanging fruit. If you can correct the gut or optimize gut function, you decrease the amount of inflammation in the body, which is probably the key underlying issue for aging. And you you help so many other areas of the body by by optimizing gut function. You know, the gut is also called the second brain. You know, there's more serotonin made in your gut than in your brain. I often see people when you treat their gut, their depression or anxiety gets better. 70% of your immune system is in or around your gut. So if you want to optimize your immune system, you need to optimize your gut. So your gut to me is like the key organ where you start, if you want to start getting healthy, start with your gut. So it's really the mothership for immunity. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's so interesting because, you know, you think about the gut as only equating sort of food and everything to it. But you talk a lot about, particularly as we get older, leaky gut, Crohn's disease, all these things that come from a hurt gut. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what happens is a lot of us just when we start getting a little bit, we know we get a little bit bloated, we got a lot of gas, we got a bit of heartburn. We think that's just normal symptoms of getting older and you take a Tums or you take something for the bloating and you just suppress the symptom and you think that's good enough and everyone's got it just normal as we get older. That's not the case because as the gut starts um, becoming dysfunctional or it's not functioning as well, it has downstream effects. And, and part of the, the biggest downstream effect that, that happens from a dysfunctional gut is inflammation. And, and that's because the gut wall is extremely, extremely thin for most of, of the lining. Um, it's one cell thick, which is much, much thinner than toilet paper, for instance. And if that gets damaged, you have some metabolites from food or from bacteria that leak through the gut wall and then can trigger inflammation all over the body. And that's probably one of the commonest things I see. And then, and that's reversible. That's treatable. And it's unfortunately not something that... Uh, typical Western doctor thinks about, or even a typical gastroenterologist thinks about. So it's an area that I think most of us should be working with. And what what is bloating exactly? Is it just inflammation? So so bloating can, can be caused by a, a number of things, but bloating often has to do with either you're not processing the food properly, but even more commonly, it's often caused by an imbalance in the good and the bad bacteria. I mean, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But there's something called, for instance, SIBO. Have you heard of SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? That's when 
bacteria from the large intestine move into the small intestine and you have an overgrowth of these bacteria. And because you have an overgrowth of these bacteria, it produces gas, especially when you eat certain foods or sometimes not even when you're eating food. So until you correct that imbalance, you're going to get bloating. So that's probably the commonest cause of bloating. Yeah, so many people I know have that exact reaction after they eat something. To, I mean, do they have to have to unbutton their pants? They're so bloated, or there's pain, or there's right, and that's an e- easy fix, and they should not accept that as being normal. Okay, and you say there's serotonin in the gut. There's more serotonin made in your gut than made in your brain. So, in, so instead of taking Zoloft and Prozac, how do we access the serotonin in our gut? It's a great question. So, you know, what I've noticed clinically, and now even psychiatrists are starting to become more and more accepted, is often when people come to me, they don't really come in with complaining of being anxious or depressed. They come in with digestive problems. They're bloated and they're having pain and they can't poop properly or they've got loose stools. And you correct their gut, they'll come back and they say, oh, I'm not anxious anymore. Oh, I don't feel as depressed. So, yes, there's a major, you know, there's this two-way highway going from your gut to, to your brain. And how these neurotransmitters, which serotonin is one, is affected or, or manipulated has a lot to do with your gut. Now, I'm not saying all depression is caused by a gut problem. But I think if depression is not severe in particular, many times you do not need medication. That's fascinating. I wish gastrointestinal doctors and you know psychiatrists could work together more closely, particularly in Western culture. You go see a psychopharmacologist to treat the depression and you go see a gastroenterologist and he gives you something else. So you're getting medications from two different people. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's one of the shortcomings of our system, how things are siloed like that, as if the body's, everything's not working together. I mean, that's a real shortcoming of our system. Mm -hmm. And sleep. I've also noticed as I've gotten older and friends of mine complain that they can't sleep. People seem to have insomnia a lot. And I know that, you know, the world is kind of on fire right now and you have a lot more stresses because you get older and you acquire more of them. But I find people my age and older, even my parents, have horrible insomnia and they're just not getting the sleep they need. Right. Actually, my latest book is on sleep. I think sleep is is fairly complicated, but I think you need to see sleep as a, a symptom of some other imbalance in the system. So for women your age in particular, I see a lot of hormonal imbalances. Progesterone in particular, but also other hormones start dropping as women start getting in, you know, late 40s into their 50s. Mm-hmm. That can be a big issue. Stress can be a big issue. I think being out of rhythm is often an issue. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we don't get enough natural light during the day when we should be. We sit under artificial lights and we don't go outside. And at night when we should be under complete darkness, we have too much artificial light as well. Only when it's dark will your body start producing the natural sleep hormone melatonin. And at night we're sitting under artificial lights or watching TV. So 
we're affecting our body's natural rhythms as well, the circadian rhythms. So it's a combination of the stress of the hormones starting to become out of balance and then being out of rhythm or, or not being in sync with your body's rhythms. And then the nutrition part. Well, I think now too, everybody goes to bed with computers and cell phones. Yep. And I read a lot about how the blue light also interferes with your sleep cycle. Right. And and two of the most important tips I give for sleep are, are things people don't think about. The one is the first thing in the morning to go outside and get some natural light so you can mm -hmm. help your body get in rhythm. And the second one is to try and go to bed and wake up if you can at about the same time every night and every morning because our bodies love regularity. So that's schedule. It does get harder to, to have good sleep as you get older, but I think you need to just pay more attention. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of simple things you can do to improve your sleep and affect your sleep. One of them is magnesium. Well, yeah, there's certain supplements that can help, and magnesium is definitely one of them. And I'm a big, big fan of magnesium. It affects, you know, so many enzymatic processes in the body. So mag magnesium is great. Another one is CBD. You know, I've become a big, big fan of CBD, and sometimes, you know, certain strains of THC together can be helpful as well. So CBD and magnesium are two nutrients that you can absolutely try and, and, and see if it helps. Yeah. And also you, you write about bedtime rituals and my husband has to get up at 2.30 in the morning because he does this morning show, Good Morning America. And so he lives a very regimented life. We have dark shades. We have a sound machine. We have, Good. but he, he has rituals to keep his body in that same cycle. So it's herbal tea, it's read for 20 minutes, and that seems to really work for him. Exactly. So that's exactly, that is, so he's really done it well. Most people do not do that well. But if you're strict about that and if you can stay on that rhythm, that's really important. That's probably one of the best things you can do. So, so, Good for him. I think that's great. Yeah. And the CBD, I've not taken it, but I'm interested in it. But, you know, you kind of need a specialist to help you with how much THC, if any, correct? Yes and no. I mean, there's just so much out there, so it is hard. You do need someone to guide you because there are now some CBD strains mm -hmm. that actually work better for sleep, like CBN. But ultimately, you've got to find the dosage that works for you. I have one or two that we recommend for my patients because I trust those brands. And then we always tell them, okay, you need to titrate it according to your needs. You'll know. You know, I, I used to have a very active mind and I know I'm going to wake up and like start thinking about everything that's going on. I'll take CBD. I know what dose works for me. Mm -hmm. How much is a bit too much? How much isn't enough? So if if I do take a sleeping aid with THC, am I going to be stoned? Is the fish on my table going to start talking to me? Um, well, I'm not sure about the fish, but <laughs> you don't have to do the THC. I mean, the CBD alone, especially some of those CBD strains, the CBN strain, for instance, can be very effective and there's no psychoactive effect from it. So theoretically, CBD to be legal has to have, I think it's less than 0.3% of THC. So you, you shouldn't get a psychoactive effect from CBD, you don't need to add THC in. And let's talk about medicinal mushrooms because even right. saying medicinal mushrooms, I feel like it's an acid trip. I'm going to lose 
lucidity. You know, I think of Timothy Leary, but right. I'm wrong, right? <laughs> well, so, so when we're talking about medicinal mushrooms, we're talking about mushrooms that have been around for centuries and used in most cultures. And, and a lot of people are eating without even, you know, whether it's reishi, shiitake. But, you know, mushrooms have been used by most medical systems for centuries. And there's no psychoactive effect from the mushrooms I'm talking about. Shaga mushrooms, reishi, lion's mane, these type of mushrooms, which have many beneficial effects on the on the body. And I'm a huge, huge fan of mushrooms for immunity as a nootropic effect for brain. You know, lion's mane can be very helpful if you want a little bit more sharpness. So mushrooms are a real important part of the, the, the Chinese medicine therapeutic arsenals. But now they become quite popular. Everywhere I look now, they're mushrooms. And they're, mu- they're mushrooms to use as food and to eat, right? Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily to go to a Chinese herbalist. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more to come after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Simply by Frito-Lay. These days, you have a lot going on. But now, thanks to Simply by Frito-Lay, you have one less thing to worry about. So kick back and enjoy your favorite Frito-Lay snacks with ingredients to feel good about, like Simply Blue Corn Tostitos, Sea Salted Ruffles, and even White Cheddar Cheetos Puffs, all made with no artificial colors or flavors. Enjoy what you love and look for Simply Brand snacks online or at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Madewell. Ready to step up your denim game? The experts at Madewell use premium fabric and the latest denim technology to make super comfy, never want to take them off jeans in fits and styles for everyone. The kind of jeans you'll reach for again and again. Get $20 off your online jeans purchase by using code SPOTIFY20 at madewell.com. Terms apply. Please see madewell.com slash promos for full offer details. We're back with more Go Ask Alley. So here's another, you know, not myth, something I've been told over and over again. Drink water. And I don't like water. Do I have to? Is it that important to my body? Well, as we get older, our perception of thirst decreases. So we don't even realize when we're thirsty. I I, I do think we should drink, you know, a good three glasses, four glasses of water a day. So it is a good idea just to make a habit of having some water around and drinking it. And what is that doing? That's part of the cleaning out process? Well, you know, most of our body is water. So yes, it'll help with the cleaning out. It'll help with many different processes. But I think as we get dehydrated and there's not enough water in the cells, they're just not going to function as well. And you're going to feel more tired. I mean, Often when people come into me and they're tired or they're getting headaches, it's often dehydration. So just be aware of it and just also be aware that as you get older, you're not even realizing that you're thirsty. And about alcohol, you write about red wine. Let's say of all the alcohols, that's the one you recommend. Yeah, I think alcohol is a toxin, to be quite honest. I'm not a fan of alcohol. I think the context of how you drink alcohol is more important than the alcohol. So I think the beneficial effects of alcohol come from the community or sitting around a table with your family or with friends. Okay. Having said that, 
red wine does have some, you know, good nutrients in it that could be helpful. But, you know, I'll take my resveratrol as a supplement. And which, which is healthier, red wine or tequila? Uh, well, if you've got a sugar problem, I think tequila. I mean, you know, when I drink alcohol, if I'm going to drink, if I want to get a little bit drunk, I'll have a tequila. If I just want to sip some red wine, I'll sip some red wine. But tequila is very low carbohydrate. Okay. So I'm a bigger fan of tequila. Although if you, if you really like wine, I mean, I think having, you know, some red wine a few times a week is not the end of the world. So you get drunk? Is that what you're saying? No, if I do occasionally get drunk, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. my my drug days, and to me, alcohol is just another drug, are long gone. But um, yeah. Which is more evil to you, sugar or alcohol? Um, well, that depends on quantities. If you have a little bit of sugar, it's not a problem. If you're having sugar regularly, that's going to build up and that's going to cause carbohydrate intolerance. And then problems down the road. A little bit of alcohol is not the end of the world. I I just don't want to give people the impression that, you know, you should never do this and you should never do that. I mean, you've got to live your life as well. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that's important. You've got to enjoy life. Now, you spoke earlier about a cold plunge. Yeah. And you write about how healthy it is for you to go from hot to cold. So to to go from a hot, hot, hot shower or go from a sauna to a cold plunge. What happens to your body? Why is that so beneficial? So that's the the hormetic effect, this concept called hormesis, that small stresses are actually good for the body because it triggers this acute sympathetic response And that's actually, if it's short-lived like that, it's actually good because your body learns to recover and it triggers, once again, autophagy. It triggers these mechanisms in your body, which are good for your longevity genes and it's good for aging in general. And a sauna, what what are the benefits of a sauna? So I'm a huge fan of saunas. I have a sauna myself. You know, there's more and more research showing that the extreme heat of the body is also one of those stresses that is actually good for the body. It has many positive effects. It dilates your vessels. It's good for your heart. It relaxes the nervous system. It can make you sweat and rid yourself of, of chemicals and, and, and toxins. So I think extreme heat for short periods is is once again a good thing for the body. Uh, You know, what's interesting, a lot of what I talk about, a lot of what we're finding out to be good for aging is what many cultures have been doing different versions of for centuries, whether it's Eastern cultures and meditation or sweating comes out of the Nordic cultures. You know, mushrooms have been used in so many of these cultures. So a lot of what I believe is we're taking a lot of this old traditional wisdom and sort of making it accessible or explaining it to people in this modern day age. So it's sort of combining this old wisdom with modern science. And part of the old wisdom that over the past couple decades that has become so popular is meditation. And it seems to be something that can really help people battle stress and anxiety. And I, I've been doing TM, but do you meditate every day? I do most days. I, I don't do TM per se, but I do a Vedic meditation, which is also a mantra type of meditation. So TM comes from the Vedic tradition, which I think is actually probably 
the easiest way to learn meditation. And, you know, you talked about sleep earlier. Meditating in the morning often helps sleep at night. So meditation is, to me, probably one of those essential keys to aging well. You become more resilient. You don't get as pissed off with your husband or your kids. You just tolerate things so much more easily. You don't get as angry you know, for stupid little things. So I'm, I'm a big believer in meditation. It's changed my life. It's changed, you know, thousands of my patients' lives. I'm so pleased it's become mainstream now. And I do think TM and Vedic meditation in general is probably the easiest way to learn meditation. So I think it's a great tool to have in, in this anti-aging kit. And if people seem overwhelmed by meditation or they can't remember their mantra even breathing can be helpful right yeah so i actually i've written about this meditating without meditating so the effects of meditation are that it stimulates a parasympathetic nervous system in the body if you find meditating or sitting on a pillow or chanting a, a mantra too difficult you can knit you know meditation is focused concentration if you can find that by exercise, but getting out of your head, by knitting, by gardening, by dancing around the room. You know, moving meditations are often the way to get people to learn meditation as well. That's why yoga can be so helpful. But most meditations will have breathing as part of it. So you don't have to learn a mantra, but if you can learn to focus on your breath, that's probably good enough. And just one more thing I want to say, Ali. Yes. You know, there was a guy, Herbert Benson, who was at Harvard. They did studies to see if it was the mantra that worked or just teaching people to say one over and over again. And just teaching people a mantra of just saying one over and over again had the same effect as someone chanting their mantra. I think that focused concentration on that one word and repeating that one word is what does it. It's not the specific sound. And how beneficial is massage, especially as you're getting older? Well, you know, to me, optimizing the functioning of your musculoskeletal system is really important as we get older, because one of the biggest problems as we get older is, you know, aches and pains, mm -hmm. you know, our hips get tight, or our neck and shoulders get tight. And if you don't free that up over time, that just gets worse and worse, and you become a little bit more dysfunctional. So you can't do the little things or... They create more aches and pains when you do them. And, you know, the second part of that story is if your hip gets tight and you don't deal with the tightness in your hip, then over time, your, your hip muscles don't fire properly. And then your back muscles will have to be used to, to compensate and you start getting back pain. And if that starts, you know, becoming a problem, then you start getting shoulder pain. So I think the more you can loosen up your tight muscles and tight fascia, the earlier you can, the better it is for your body. So if you can't afford a massage, get a foam roller and become your own masseuse with, with, with a foam roller. And that's just something you can buy on Amazon and just roll over your muscles. Yeah. Do at home. Yep, exactly. So here's my favorite thing you brought up with sense of humor. Explain why something I make a living at is so helpful to the aging process. Because it stimulates the same parasympathetic effect that meditation does. So if you just think of your nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, which is what got triggered when you were in front of the bear, which often 
keeps getting triggered by chronic stress. Mm -hmm. And then there's a parasympathetic um, nervous system and the effects of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is a complete opposite of the stress response. And that is triggered by meditation, by laughing, by being kind to others. So your humor or laughing a lot is actually really healthy for you. You know, it's what I always say. It's the little things that we take for granted or the little things we do on a daily basis that have enormous effects on our health. And, you know, laughing is one of those little things, listening to music, being grateful, or, you know, being in nature. All these little things that we don't see as medicine have powerful effects on the body. And you talk about growing your tribe. So friendship and community. Huge. Yeah. Um, my mother recently, she's 87. She recently lost her spouse, which is very traumatic. And I've, yeah. I found that she's become very reclusive. And one of the things I know that would help her is to, like you said, grow her tribe, is to yes. have people in the home and around her. Because it's for me, it's an integral part of my life is my having my people around me laughing and drinking red wine and doing all the things yeah, we talked about. That's, yeah, that's important. To me, that's probably more important to aging than the sugar. Now, I'm not saying you should go eat sugar. Those intangible things like that, to me, are more important to how well we age than what we're eating mm -hmm. or whether we're exercising or not. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't exercise and you shouldn't eat well, but those little things are really, really crucial to, to how well we age. And there, there are tons of studies on loneliness and, and community and, and aging and how bad loneliness is for aging. Do pets help? I think pets are incredibly helpful. And I think what's interesting, which is, which makes sense, you know, with the pandemic, so many more people got pets, which, you know, as companions, mm -hmm. you know, and pets are, you, you know, unconditional love, you know. So, yeah, I think pets are, are fantastic ways of, of companionship, of getting love. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of pets. I think they're important. Yeah, no, I've always, I've always had dogs and yeah. I can't imagine not having them. And I, I think about sort of people I know my mother's age and I've noticed that the people with pets seem to be thriving a little bit better than those who don't. I would guess that's the case. Yes. Yeah. I do want to end with one last question. You say, take care of your feet. Why should I take care of my feet? Well, because if you don't take care of your feet, then your body starts compensating. You start getting other problems. So if your feet are twisted or start getting tight, then you don't walk in an aligned way. And then you start maybe getting some knee problems and then your body compensate and you start getting a tight hip. And, you know, sometimes people's headaches are because of how they're walking. So I think taking care of one's feet is important, especially, you know, in, in our culture, we in these uncomfortable shoes for so many hours of the day, especially women who have to, I mean, I just, I can never get how they can wear these high heels all the oh time. My God. Well, one of the few nice things about the pandemic is I swore I'm never going to put a heel on again in my life. Yeah. So I think, you know, taking care of our feet is, is, is something we just don't think about. Well, how, how do I take care of my feet besides a pedicure? What else should I do? Well, first of all, try to walk barefoot, you know, part of the time. I think it is good to get out of shoes. I think that is good. Ah. Um, rolling your feet can be very important because we tend to get tight. You know, the fascia 
which is that thin kinetic tissue lining that surrounds all our muscles gets tight, especially around the feet. So rolling your feet out with a tennis ball, for instance, I mean, it's a, it's a good trick. And all you do is you take a tennis ball and you roll and you roll it around and you find a tight spot and just stay on that spot and try to release that spot and do that for five minutes and then see the difference in how your feet feel. It's pretty amazing. And obviously, if you're lucky enough to be able to get massages, I would say sure. they, they should put a little effort into your feet as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And do you recommend sort of changing shoes just so our feet don't get used to a certain way of walking? Yeah, I wouldn't say change up to high heels, but yeah, try change up your shoes and try walk bare feet as well. And, and actually walking barefoot in on the beach or on the earth is actually a really good thing for many reasons. So yes, try change things up with your feet as much as you can. See, I knew I knew feet would be important. I knew I should leave it for the last question. <laughs> Dr. Lippman, I feel younger just speaking to you. So thank you so much. And thank you. And, and keep yourself and your family and your friends laughing. It's a really good thing to do. Thank you. Thanks, Ali. So I think what I said at the beginning of the podcast to Dr. Lippman about, you know, when you're younger, aging is such a superficial thing and it seems so ego driven, you know, aging is how do we stop aging? We're going to use wrinkle cream or I'm going to dye my gray hair and all those external things at a certain point And when you reach a certain age, they don't matter anymore. You know, what matters is what's happening internally, what's happening internally, emotionally, what's happening internally, literally with your cells and your organs. And so I like to say that I've said goodbye to the sexy, sexy chapter of my life. And now it's about staving off death. I mean, literally now it's about being healthy and maintaining and that can be done and enjoyed in exactly the same way. It's about exercising and eating right and sleeping and laughing and having people around you that make you feel good. And it doesn't have to be a negative thing. This this sort of back nine of life or these years, quote unquote, ahead of us can be incredibly empowering and vital years. It's just the way we have to kind of pivot our mind and look at them. Anyway, this is what I'm telling myself right now because as I'm Zooming with Dr. Lippman, all I saw was wrinkles and a old neck. So I'm trying to be strong and I'm trying to go with the new rules of aging well. Thank you for listening to Go Ask Alley. Join me next week for our final episode of the season. Producer and award-winning actress Juliana Margulies talks to me about her long-term love affair with George Clooney. No, just kidding. She talks with me about her long-term relationship with success. You know her from the long-running show The Good Wife and, of course, ER, but she acknowledges how tricky success can be and how she's kept it all in perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and follow me on social media. On Twitter, Allie E. Wentworth, and on Instagram, The Real Allie Wentworth. And if you have questions or guests you'd like to hear from, I'd love to hear from you. Call or text me at 323-364-6356 or email me, goaskalleypodcast at gmail.com.
Go Ask Alley is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Laverne Cox. You may know me from Orange is the New Black or Disclosure. My hope is that people listening to The Laverne Cox Show gain new perspectives that will inspire them to live differently. There are all of these things that we just accept as natural, normal, and inevitable, but they're not. Listen to The Laverne Cox Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't yuck somebody else's yum. Make sure you subscribe and share. (laughs) Ew. 